we are going to talk about the making of greatness. And so um, today we're going to look at a good little passage of um, text. So I told Pastor Tim we're going to read a lengthy passage of scripture today. So just bear with me as I read through it. Um, but I do believe that God wants us to um, consider the Shunammite woman. And so we're going to come out of 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8 through 37. So just breathe because I'm going to read, you know, try to read fast. I want you guys to be able to um, hear the text of scripture so that you can kind of put everything into um, context as we are going through it. So, Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we are always grateful, Father, for the opportunity, oh God, to share your word, Lord. God, we ask that you would show up and you would continue to be in this place, Father, that you would speak through me, Father. Let the words that I say be what you would have me to say, Lord God. God, we have an expectation of you today. We pray that the word will fall on fertile ground, Lord, that people will receive something from this word, that it will be a rhema word, a right now word, Father, that will speak to um each person's situation or their circumstances, that they will take away something tangible, Lord God, that they can use in their everyday life, Father. We thank you right now, God, for it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to go ahead and go to the scripture. Verse, um, chapter 4, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8 through 37. And it says, Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for, for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lamp lampstand, um, lamp lampstand, so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, while call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my people. So he said, what then is it to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So he said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your manservant, to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. And the child grew. Now it happened one day that he went to his father, to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to a servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to, the, to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God but, and shut the door, shut the door upon him. 
and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, it is well. Now, when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I ask a son of the Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet them, greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child has not awakened. When Elijah came into the house, there was the child lying dead on, on his bed. He went, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called to Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called her and when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. So can I tell you, like, this particular, like, passage of Scripture is, like, so rich with so much stuff. Like, studying it, I was, you know, headed one way, and then I'm like, oh, Lord, as I kept reading, I'm like, oh, I could go this way. But this, like, passage of Scripture can, like, it probably could be used for some type of series and you could preach on it and pull so much stuff. But I don't have a lot of time. So there is um, a few things that I want us to look at today. We're going to look at the characteristics of the making of greatness. Right. So we're going to look at this Shunammite um, woman's the various characteristics and the things that she does that makes her great. So Elijah's role in this text of scripture is a little um I want you to understand Elijah's role in the text of the scripture. So it requires you just to hear a little information about him. Elijah was God's prophet to the northern kingdom. He was the son of a farmer, an understudy of Elijah, who found him behind oxen and plow. At Elijah's ascension to heaven, 
Elisha picked up the mantle he had been anointed with and began his prophecy. So Elijah is this preacher and he's traveling and he goes to Shunem. And so then we have this unnamed, unnamed Shunemite woman. Now, mind you, they don't tell us what her name is. She's unnamed. But what we do know is that she is characterized as great. What made her so great? Well, let me tell you what she wasn't. It's impressive to note the things that she wasn't. Apparently, she isn't from royal blood. Nothing indicates that she has great rank or wealth or high social status. She apparently wasn't endowed with great knowledge or skill. She wasn't strikingly beautiful, such as Sarah or Bathsheba or Esther. She didn't have, um, she didn't save her people like Esther, nor lead her people to God like the Samaritan woman at the well, women at the well. She wasn't a great leader or judge like Deborah. She didn't even have a child who became great like Hannah. So why study about her? I think that we can imitate some of the same reasons for greatness that characterize her existence. Now let's look back at the scripture. The story begins in verse 8. Elijah is traveling through a little town called Shunem. This was his job. He was a traveling preacher going from town to town proclaiming God's will and his word. This woman, for whatever reason, was willing to keep the preacher. There are a couple of things to point out that the Shunammite woman did. So the first thing she did was she served him. That's one of the first characteristics. She was a servant. She was generous to him. Matter of fact, in verse 8, it says she urged him to stay for a meal. She wanted him to be there. She invited. She was the one that invited him in. So, um, Her service was not anything that was great. It was literally, hey, come, let me feed you. And so can I say to you today that oftentimes we get caught up in what it is that we're doing and we don't realize that it doesn't have to be great. You need to be able to do what is necessary. And in in this case, the Shunammite woman knew that he needed to be fed. So she did the thing that was needed and the thing that was necessary. So don't look down on what it is that you bring to the kingdom. Just know that what God has placed inside of you, it is necessary. And so that's what makes it great. And that's what makes you a servant. So do the things that are necessary and needed in the kingdom. So whenever Elijah would come to Shunem, he would stop by her house for a meal. Verse 9 in the King James Version says, And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth us continually. The second thing that characteristic is she had perception. She was able to perceive who he was. So we have to ask the question, why was she able to perceive that he was a man of God? Was it because of her experience with him? Perhaps it was because of her relationship with the Lord, or perhaps it was because she cultivated a relationship with him. So remember, he's coming, he he comes, she invites him in for a meal, and every time he comes he continues to come for a meal she begins to when you sit down and you have break bread with someone you start building relationship with them right and so in this case she is cultivating a relationship with him 
with with the man of God. So can I submit to you today that part of our problem that is that the part of the problem why we have a hard time perceiving things is that we've not cultivated our relationships properly. Whether that be in your personal life, whether that be in your work life, which is the very reason why we have a hard time perceiving who who someone is or where we are. We've not, many of us have not even taken the time to cultivate our relationship with the Lord. And when we don't cultivate our relationship with the Lord, we can't understand where the Lord is taking us. We can't understand why we are where we are and what the Lord has for us. So we have to learn to cultivate our relationships properly, even with God. Tell your neighbor that you have to have perception. To perceive means to come, to realize or understand. So, I'm sorry, to perceive means to realize or understand. So, in this case, she came to understand that he was a man of God because the relationship she developed with him. Next, because of what she perceived, verse 10 tells us that she made room for him. Now, y'all, we could talk about that for a really long time, about making room for the stuff that we need to make room for. Let me make a, um, so it says, please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand so, so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. It's interesting to me that the scripture provides great detail of how she made room for him by describing the furniture in the room. It's clear that she took great thought and she really thought through every little detail of what would be in the room. She was intentional about making sure that there was enough room in her house for the man of God to be comfortable. So part of our problem is that our rooms are full. Our lives are full with so many things that we don't have room for God or for his word. Or either we've carved out just a little space or we've carved out just a little time because we know it's needed, but we've not taken great thought into ensuring that the space is comfortable for God to enter in. I want you to think about the space that you've created for the Lord to enter in. Think about how big it is or how much time you've given God, how much time you spend each and every day in his presence, how much time you spend reading his word. Is it enough room for God to be able to enter in and for him to be able to speak to you and you to be able to sit and listen? Oftentimes we are, we are, Going, going, going. And I know as a mother, um, as a wife, as a, Walter and I have a little business, all of that, we, you know, we're going and going and going each day. But we don't really take the time that we need to sit to hear from the Lord. And that is so very important because God cannot, if you can't hear from God and if you can't sit and be still and hear the voice of the Lord, you won't be in the right place. He won't be able to move you to where you need to be. You won't be able to do that which he has called you to do. So look at your neighbor and tell them, check your space. What do you have going on that you're so full that you can't make space and time for God? 
Let me stop here and tell you that God is not interested in a little bit of your time. He wants all of your time. He wants you to make room for him. But please know that what he won't do is he won't vie for position with your time. Can I help someone today since I mentioned time? It's, time is not a renewable resource. It's something that we can't get back. All of us only have so much time here in the earth, so it's important for us to seize every moment that we have. Some decisions we make don't come with second chances. For many of us, it is time to do an inventory of our lives, make room for the things that are necessary in our lives, and get rid of the unnecessary stuff that is cluttering our lives. It's time to do some spring cleaning. Y'all, you remember your mama used to do spring cleaning? Many of us need to do some spring cleaning and take an inventory of what's essential and what's necessary. Do y'all know the difference between that? There's some things that are, I mean, I'm sorry, what's unessential and what's necessary. There are some things that are necessary, it's needed. And then there are other things that you're doing. It might be a good thing. You might be doing it to help somebody else, but it's non-essential. It's not necessary. And so each of I encourage you to take an inventory of what it is that you're doing so that you will know what is necessary. Now let's go back to the text. So we have the Shunammite woman who serves Elisha by feeding him whenever he is in town. She perceives that he is a man of God and she was intentional about making room for him. So because this woman took such good care of Elisha, he was ready to bless her. He came with a blessing. Can I add here that when you take care of the man or woman of God, God will bless you. The Bible says if we receive a prophet in the name of the prophet, we will receive a prophet's reward. I know this to be true because in verse 11 it says, And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. Verse 12 says, Then he said to Gehazi, his servant called the Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all of this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king? Elisha was prepared to do something for her. After all that she had done for him, he came with a blessing for her. Verse 13 goes on to say that the Shunammite woman says, I dwell among my own people. In other words, I don't need anything. I'm good. She was, one of the other characteristics for her was that she was content where she was. She was happy where she was in life. So let's pause here. Can I say that not only did she take good care of him, but there, there was no strings attached to it. Now, I know this is a little bit off topic, but how many of you guys have encountered people that when you do something for them, there's strings attached. They're looking for something else. But can we be excited that God is not a God that when we do something, he expects us. There's no strings attached. He gives us the opportunity to decide when we're going to serve him. He gives us the opportunity to, to decide when we're going to do his will. There's no strings attached to that because God still blesses us. So in this case, the Shunammite woman, she, she, there's no strings attached. And Elijah recognizes this. 
So when we talk about her contentment, it says, so he said, when, when, what then is to be done for her? Because she says, I'm good. I don't need anything. And Gehazi answers and says, actually, she has no son. And her husband is old. So we see in these, these um, several verses that although she told Elijah, Elisha she was content, the prophet was insistent on doing something for her. The Shunammite woman wasn't expecting anything. She was content. How many of you know that when we get to a place of contentment where we're happy with what we have and what God has blessed us with instead of always wanting more, that that is the very place that God will move on our behalf when we least expect it? So I know you've been wanting a better job, but I'm, I need you to know that the job that you're in now, I need you to treat that job like it is your dream job, like it is the better. I know you want a better car, but treat that car like it is the better. Wherever you are in life, treat it like it is the better, and then God will be able to move on your behalf. So we got to be happy where we are. It is his desire to give us the exceedingly and abundantly above all that we should ask or think blessing, but we have to be content in him. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive to be better. There's a difference between being better and not being happy and satisfied where we currently are. I want you to know that being content doesn't mean that we don't have a need or a concern. And I know I'm right about this because in verse 14, while she, while she says to Elijah that she is, she's good, I don't need anything, I don't need you to speak on my behalf, Gehazi does point out the fact that she doesn't have a son and that her husband is old. She's not even in the right environment to have a son, right? Because her husband is so old and she can't have a son. So maybe that was possibly a concern for her, but she was still content where she was. So clearly she had need of something. She looks like everything is good and she has it all together, but she has need of something. She's concerned about something. She's content. Can I submit to you that many of you are in the same place as the Shunammite woman? Maybe you're content, but you have need of something or you're concerned about something. God sent me this morning to tell you that he will still move on your behalf. Yes, you might be content and happy and satisfied where you are, but God sees your concern. He knows the very thing that you need that's going to move you from point A to point B, and he will move on your behalf. He will move on your behalf. What an awesome God that we serve, that he would take the time to ask us, how may I serve you? That's what Elisha said. Elisha said, how, what can I do for you? I need you to know the God that you serve. God is not always about some of the other things that we expect him to be about. He wants to know, how can I serve you? Yes, you've been serving me each and every day. You get up, you go to church, you go to work, you serve in the house faithfully. Now God is saying, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? I know you have a concern. And just know that I'm working that concern out on the back end. So he said, so he says in verse 15, call her. 
When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace the son. In this verse, Elisha gives her a promise. He gives her a word. So I want y'all to remember today because there's some things that you're concerned about. And in this case, Elisha tells her that this time next year, you are going to bear a son. I came to tell a few of you guys today that this time next year, that very thing that has been concerning you, God is going to make it come to pass. You can write it down. You can remember it. Remember Sunday, June 9, 2019, that Pastor Mercedes said that this time next year, this time next year, that job that you wanted, God's already moving it and working it out on your behalf. That relationship that you're in, God is already moving it and working it out on your behalf. This time next year, this time next year, you're going to see the manifestation of his promise. You're going to see the manifestation of his word. So I want you to remember that on today. But the truth is, you've... um. So, and although this time next year you're going to see the manifestation, but I do believe that for some of us, God's going to move before this time next year. So, I want y'all to praise him like it's a this time next year blessing. Praise him like you're trusting him to move on your behalf. Praise him like, you, like you've never praised him before for this blessing, this this time next year blessing. So she, so she does all these, she has various characteristics. She perceives, she makes room for him. He gives her this promise, although she is content. And then in verse 17, it says she acted, it, verse 17 lets us know that she acted upon what he, the word that she had received. So the Bible doesn't tell us specifically about what happened between her and her husband, but it does say that she conceived. So here we see that she acted upon the word that she received. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. Now the scripture tells us that her husband was old, and the truth is that most people in the same position would probably have doubted what he said. Although she questioned Elijah in verse 16, she still trusted the word and acted upon it. Can I tell you today that for some of you, God is giving you a word. He's giving you a promise, and maybe it appears that it might not come to pass. But I'm here to tell you that it shall come to pass. It has to come to pass. God is not a man that he should lie, neither is he the son of man that he should repent. And if he says a thing, it shall come to pass. You can stand on his word. That's a check that he has written that you can cash. You can believe it will come to pass. It will come to pass. We have to know and trust that the word of the Lord that he gives us, the promises that he gives us will come to pass. If God says it, you, you definitely can believe it. So now let's fast forward. She bears a son, and after years, he gets, um, he gets sick and dies. What happens when the promise dies? Elisha gave her a promise, and the promise came to pass, but the promise dies. 
in her lap. What happens when the promise um, dies? See, this Shunammite woman was a resilient woman. She received the promise years before. She sees the manifestation of the promise, and then it dies. For her, when all collapses, her first thought is to go to the prophet. She goes running to God. How many of you guys can say that when things happen in your life that you immediately go running to God? Can I just be real with you all? That's not always my response. Sometimes my response is just to cry and, you know, to retreat. Oftentimes when we're going through things, that's when we stop coming to the house. We stop forsaking the gathering of the saints. But that's the time that we should start running to God. She ran to the source. She didn't go to her friends. She didn't go to the bar. She didn't go anywhere else, but she ran to God. Not only does she go running to the source, but she goes and does it quickly. She tells her servant on when she gets on the donkey, she, first of all, she tells her husband, get the donkey quickly. Then she says, to the servant, don't stop until I, unless I tell you to stop. Just keep going. So she does it quickly. The interesting thing is she had to go 20 miles, but we have immediate access to God. We can do it in two seconds. We have immediate access to the source. So there really is no excuse for us. So her husband says, why would she go now? We don't know what she told him and what happened. We don't know if she told him what happened to her son. But we do know that in King the New King James Version, verse 23 reports that she says, it is well. How many of you can stand in the face of your, your trial, in the face of your situation, and still say, it is well? Even Job, after he lost everything that he had, he was able to say that I will not curse God because it is well. His latter days were greater than his um were his latter days were greater than his former days. Because it is well, because of her experience, because she know who God is, because she was able to perceive that he was a man of God, she knew that he gave her a promise and that although the promise appeared to die, it is still well. It's clear that she understood that it is well, because under these specific circumstances, most people would have chosen to go ahead and bury their son, to bury the promise. Okay, maybe y'all wouldn't have thought about that, but I would have. I would have been thinking, okay, this is over. You promised this, but he's dead. But instead, in verse 21, she went and placed him on the bed of the man of God and closed the door. Based on what we read in verse 34, we understand that the boy comes alive. Can I encourage you on today? Now is not the time to bury that thing. Yep, I'm talking to you. Don't bury that relationship. Don't bury that job. Go ahead and pull that book back out, the transcripts to that book. Don't bury it yet because God has given you a promise. It appeared that it died, but God still is in the blessing business and it still will be well. It's well. One of the things that I find most interesting is, in all of this, is the process and time it took from the child dying in his mother's arms to the time the boy opened his eyes. I just need you to get this picture in your mind. Clearly, it took some time 
for the very word that she was given that appeared to have died to be resurrected. Because based on my research, the distance between Shunem and Mount Carmel, where Elijah was, was about 20 miles away, one way. But keep in mind, she traveled there on a donkey. So if she traveled there on a donkey, surely she traveled back on the same donkey. So it probably took, you know, perhaps it was a few days. What I want you to take away from this is that it might not happen in a few minutes nor even a few hours, and maybe it won't happen in a few days, but God still will work it out. It might take longer than a month, but trust and know that God can and he will resurrect it in his time. So wipe the cobwebs off. I know you packed it up and put it in the back of your mind, but I'm here to tell you, pull that box back out, unpack that stuff, and allow God to move in his time. Because it's well. It's well. And the, the Shunammite woman understood that it is well. The last thing that I want to point out in this passage of scripture is within verses 35, 36, and 37. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came into him, he said, pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Let me say that one more time. She went in, she fell at his feet, and she bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. The last characteristic that I need you to know about this Shunammite woman was that she was a worshiper. For all intents and purposes, any other person, after hearing that their son is now alive, they would have immediately ran in and grabbed the child. But she didn't grab her child. She immediately fell to his feet. She understood and realized that the most important thing that she could do first in this situation was to worship him, which is why she fell to his feet. Then she picked up her son. I just need you to know on today that you're going to have to fall to your feet and you're going to have to worship God. Even when you don't see it happening, you're still going to have to worship God. Even when it doesn't look like it's going to work out, you have to worship the Lord. And she knew that she needed to worship the Lord. It reminds me of the woman in the issue, I mean, the woman that kneeled at Jesus' feet and anointed his feet with a perfume and an oil. And then it says, then he says to her, wherever the gospel is preached, that he will make her name great. He will tell this account. Like she knew the first thing that I needed to do was to worship the Lord. God, God can move anyway, but we have to get in our mind that our job, our number one job is to worship the God, whether he moves or not. She understood she needed to worship him. So before I take my seat, I want you to know that in these characteristics, to know that these characteristics of the Shunammite woman will position us for God to work wonders on our behalf. They will position us for our name to be great. We have to put things into perspective. She could have picked up her son. She could have picked up her son first and then worshipped him. But she knew what the important thing was. So we have to remember what comes first. And the first thing is, I've got to worship God. 
My number one job is to worship God. It's not just to worship God in my lip service, but it's to worship God in everything that I do, every day that I live. My job is to worship God. So she worships God. And Elijah, because she knew that Elijah had that same power. God had given her the power to raise her son from the dead. She knew that. So I want you to think about this. What legacy are you leaving in the earth? This was a great woman. We never understood her name. They never told us her name, but they surely described in this passage of Scripture the characteristics of what made her great. So think about what, what, what will they say that made you great? If they never heard your name, Mario, if they never heard your name, Siobhan, what is it that they would say about you that would make you great? One of the things that we know that Dr. Martin Luther King, we know his name, but we know that he also let, left a legacy. He fought for nonviolence. He, he made his name great when he was here in the earth. Kathy Truitt, who owns Chick-fil-A, he left a legacy. He made his name great in the earth. What legacy will you leave? What will they say about you? If they don't put your name on a tombstone, what characteristics will be listed about you in the earth? 